Oh yeah, we are in a series studying through the last book of the Bible, which is called Revelation. And this series is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I've already gotten some positive feedback from some people about Revelation, and we haven't even gotten that far. But people have already said, like, I'm glad we're studying this, because this book is kind of bananas, or I've been scared of it, and I've never studied it. I don't even know where to begin, because it's it's a little bit strange. Uh, but... We said at the beginning of this series, the key to understanding Revelation is in the first five words of the book. You open it up, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or the revelation about Jesus Christ. Or even the revelation from Jesus Christ. All of the above. This book is about Jesus. It is about the revealing of the victorious Son of God. Conquering evil, conquering sin and death. If you understand that and keep that at the center, the rest of it is just things to explain along the way. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at the second two chapters of the book. We talked about Revelation 1 last week, and we're going to be in Revelation 2 and 3. And this is going to be one of those Sundays where I hope you hear more from Jesus than you hear from Jacob. I'm going to set up Revelation 2 and 3, tell you a couple things that you maybe should know before going into it to help us understand it better, but then I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to read it and I'm going to give you guys some space to reflect on the words of Jesus. But before we do that, let me ask a question. Think about this. Who in your life is somebody who gets to tell you stuff? You might think people tell me things all the time, but who in your life do you want to hear feedback from? Who in your life do you give permission to tell you things that you may not know about yourself? Maybe encouraging things, maybe some critical things that you'd like to know if you're not already aware of them. As I think about the people in my life who get to tell me stuff and get to give me feedback, uh, I think about those who are closest to me. My family, I want to know things like, uh, you know, hey man, your fly's open. You've been preaching up there and uh, your zipper's been down the whole time. I'm not going to check, but I'm assuming it's not currently. Um, But these are the kind of people that love you enough to say, hey, I'm going to tell you this. You maybe should make a change there in your life. When I first started preaching, I, every single Saturday night, I used to run my sermons by Lisa. I would say, hey, can I practice this on you? Because I want to make sure that it makes sense. She's a smart lady. She's got a, a master's degree in theology from Princeton Seminary. So, of course, I want her feedback. Um, and it, it's funny because I had to eventually start telling her, like, don't be too critical. I mean, it's Saturday night after all, but just maybe may give me a few things that I might tweak or things that could be changed. But who is it in your life who you give permission to give you feedback about things. When we studied the book of Amos, we saw that Israel didn't really have ears to hear. This is a phrase we heard in the scripture that Kelly read for us from the words of Jesus. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And this is a refrain that we're going to hear as we listen to Revelation 2 and 3 this morning. Whoever has ears to hear. When someone gives you feedback, do you have ears to hear or do you not want to hear? We saw that Israel kind of did this when God sent them a message. They had no ears to hear. And this is an important theme that runs throughout Scripture, having ears to hear the Word of God. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning, God creates our whole world by His spoken Word. Let there be. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be people. Let there be creation. And then when we go to John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. He's the embodiment of God's powerful and life-bringing Word. 
And God says, he's not just talking, he's someone that you should listen to. You need ears to hear my word spoken through my son. This morning, as we hear Revelation 2 and 3, we're actually realizing that we're overhearing this because Jesus is going to speak a word to seven actual churches that actually existed in the first century. You could, you could go look at them on a map, and if you kind of study this, you see that these are just normal cities on a trade route. There were other churches, but these were seven churches. And John received this message from Jesus, and Jesus said, I want you to write down the message, and I want you to deliver it to these seven churches. We're going to overhear Jesus' message this morning, but then we're going to see if we have ears to hear if there's a word from the Lord for us today. So, what's going to happen now is I'm going to read each of Jesus' messages to each of the seven specific churches. And then I want to just create space for you to reflect on what you heard. What did Jesus say to this church? And then ask yourself, what might Jesus be saying to me? If this is the message he had for this church, you ought to be doing this. You ought to not be doing this. Is there something from that that I can take and apply in my life? I want you to think about this on two different levels. One, think about it personally. Is there a word for me in there? But then also think about it as a body. Is there a word for the Tri-Valley Church in what we're hearing this morning? And so, like I said, we're going to hear from Jesus, and I want you to listen for what the Lord might be speaking to your heart. And I want you to write it down, just like Jesus told John. Hear this message, and I want you to write it down and send it to the churches. The reason I want you to be intentional this morning about writing down what you might be hearing the Lord say is because next week we're going to get together, and you might think, well, Revelation 2 and 3 this week, Revelation 4 and 5 next week. Nope, next week is Revelation 2 and 3 again. Also, we're going to have a listening and a sharing exercise. We did this a couple months ago. We gathered in tables. Uh, instead of Rose and Jacob up front talking, we gathered in table groups. And we're going to do that next Sunday. I'm actually really excited for that. Our, our songs and our communion and our reflecting, our sharing time is going to be done around tables. Oh, and by the way, after worship is done today, if you can help me uh, set up those tables, it saved me a lot of work later on this week. But as you hear the word from John, from Jesus, to these churches. Uh, I have made these little half sheets of paper, and uh, it's a reminder of reflection questions. And there's seven churches, so you can take notes about what Jesus says to each of the seven churches and what similar message he might be speaking to you. But before we get to hearing the message, like I said, some of this stuff is contextual. It's stuff that the people would have understood and they would have heard, but we may not understand right off the top of our head. So let me, let me prep us just by giving us a couple things to remind ourselves of. The first one is the situation that these seven churches found themselves in. Um, any church that existed in uh, the first century was a relatively new church, but these churches were relatively new as well. And yet they still had already had a history. They had already been through a lot. You may have heard that there was a lot of persecution in the first century church. Christians being dragged out of their homes and lit on fire and sent into the arena to be eaten alive by wild animals. And that's true. That did happen. 
but not really during the time of Revelation. That happened a couple generations earlier under the reign of this emperor called Nero. He did a lot of persecuting Christians. If you were a Christian, you, you hid. You kept it to yourself. Your gathering was short and it was small. But by now, that persecution is not really what's happening. There's a new emperor, his name is Domitian, and he doesn't really like Christians either, but he's not killing them quite in the same way that Nero did. And yet, there are people who still remember what it was like to live through that persecution. So there's this timidity. And the, the temptation for Christians during John's time, when this message was written to the seven churches, was more of a fear left out. A fear of uh, social ostracism. A fear that you may not get business opportunities. That you may not be invited to social gatherings. That your, your, your quality of life is going to be diminished in some way. So it was very common for Christians just to go, you know what? I can follow Jesus and I can say that Caesar is Lord too. It's fine. I can go to pagan temples. I can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. I can participate in sexually immoral practices that are connected to temple worship. And it's, it's fine. Just, just put the two together. I can do both. And what we're going to hear Jesus say, and this is why it's important to know this, because a big part of this message is Jesus saying, you can't do both. This is idol worship. This is violating the first of the Ten Commandments. Don't have any other gods except for me. So we're going to hear this. We're going to hear references to people that they would have recognized. Names like Balaam and Jezebel and Nicolaus. We hear those and go, yeah, maybe I remember Jezebel. I could go back and look in the Old Testament. But all of these names are associated with idol worship. These people are all famous for having pulled God's people away and leading them down a destructive and godless path. So you'll hear those names and they'll know what it meant. And now you're prepared for what those names mean. And what you're going to hear Jesus say is going to come in like a certain format. You're going to recognize that there's a pattern to each of how he says what he says to these churches. I made a cool slide. Tom, I hope it's up there. If you can show him my cool slide. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, the format of each of the messages is basically this. It starts with the name of Jesus spoken, but it's, he's not called Jesus. It says like, to the one who holds the seven stars, or the, the one who has the double-edged sword. He always identifies. This is the message from Jesus. But when you hear those those names of Jesus, you'll know that who's talking and who they're talking about. And I came up with hand motions for each of the five elements of the format, just so that we don't get lost. If you want to do the hand motions along with me when I'm reading, you're invited to. Um, but it starts with identifying Jesus is the one sending this message. And then it usually goes to an affirmation. A good job, guys. This is something that you are doing well. You are being faithful even in the face of adversity. But then, because Jesus is someone close to the churches, because Jesus cares, he's also going to tell you that your fly's down. And that's the uh, criticism. You're going to get a critical remark for almost all of the churches. Some way that the church has been unfaithful. Maybe something they need to change. And then there's always a promise. There's always this vision cast for uh, the one who is victorious. That's the phrase that's used. For the one who is victorious. And the hand motion I came up with that is, here's the direction. Here's this vision. 
There's a crown of life that's waiting for you. You're going to be wearing a white robe. And just like with the names of Jesus, it's different for each church, but it's pointing toward the same thing. It's not like, you know, the church in Ephesus gets their names written on a stone and the church in Laodicea gets a crown and and they all get the same thing. These are uh, expressions for pointing toward the vision of Christians overcoming their adversity and having eternal life with God. We have to keep in mind that though they say for the one who is victorious, in some Bible translations it says to the one who conquers, we need to remember that this is not Alexander the Great's definition of conquering. This is not Vladimir Putin's definition of conquering. This is Jesus Christ, the slain lamb's definition of conquering. And you know what that looks like. And then it ends with whoever has ears to hear the message to the seven churches, let them have ears to hear. So you just grab your ear during that part if you want to participate in that. But this is what this morning is about. It is about us having ears to hear. So now I want to share with you the message to each of the seven churches. And like I said, after each church receives their message, I'm going to pause for about two minutes. Uh, There's going to be questions up here on the screen. It's the same questions that are here on your orange sheet. Please write down any reflections that you have, or you can write them down digitally if you're a digital person. You're probably more likely to bring it next week if it ends up on your phone. But without any further ado, Revelation 2 and 3, the message to the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We learned last week that the golden lampstands are the churches. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Awesome. And yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. Good thing again. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's the followers of that guy, Nicolaus. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Take a couple minutes right now and reflect on those words. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Take another moment and reflect on what Jesus says to this church. To the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, and yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Reflect for a moment on what Jesus says. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways, and I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's take another moment to listen for the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last one. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those who I, whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Take one, one final moment to reflect. I want to remind you again to hang on to your sheet, hang on to wherever you recorded your reflections, and continue to reflect, continue to think about this, to listen for what God might be saying. But definitely bring this back next Sunday. You'll be sitting at a table, maybe with some people you know, maybe with some people that you don't know. We're going to listen to one another and see how God is speaking through uh, this church and this, this exercise. Now, well, 
I'm going to invite the praise team back up here to prepare us to sing our final song about inviting Jesus to shine in our world and in our life and search us and try us and remove all of our darkness. But while they're coming up here, I just want to point out one thing. I start with the question, who gets to give you feedback? Who in your life do you allow to give you critical comments? Or where do you go for that? Which, whose affirmation means the most to you? When we looked at Revelation chapter 1, the first thing that John sees when he turns, he hears the voice and he turns, the first thing he sees is Jesus standing among the lampstands. Not over the lampstands and not far away like sending a video message to the lampstands, but Jesus is among his church. And I think that that detail of the vision is significant. Because if we are part of this church, we think, ah, Jacob's part of the church, Greg's part of the church, there's John. Jesus is just as part of our church as any of the rest of us. He knows this church. He knows our strengths. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. He is with us, and he is among us. And the question for us is, are we going to have ears to hear what our faithful Lord has to say? He's informed when it comes to this congregation. He's informed when it comes to our lives. And he cares. And he may give you one of these and you may not want to hear it. He may give you one of these and it could be just exactly what you need to get you through a difficult time. But Jesus is faithful. And he is speaking to us through his word. And I hope that we are a people that can have ears to hear him. Let's stand and sing together.